What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Hello, welcome back. What the actual fork pod listeners. We are so happy to have you in for another episode. This is not an off season repost. This is one of our from the vault episodes. So Sammy and Jenna mentioned this in their short intro of the episode, but we are interviewing today Lauren Link, who I have worked for personally um, at Purdue in the sports nutrition department, and I just have always thought so highly of this dietitian, and she's taught me so much. So I was really excited that Sammy and Jenna also felt that she would be a good fit for the episode. One disclaimer I wanted to mention is as a sports dietitian, there are things that she might say today um, that sound like they could be diet culture but really it's just a practical observation of what might be happening or what might go on once, a sport, once an athlete leaves their sport. So for example, there's a part where we mentioned calories, like a cal- the calorie needs of say a football alignment might be different than what a normal non-athlete human might need. Um, Another thing is when Lauren mentions, you know, that portion sizes might be smaller once you're exercising less, that's coming from a lens of an athlete exercising at least two, three, four hours a day. Um, Once they leave sport, their bodies are going to need less energy and their bodies will tell them that. And that is why their portion sizes might be smaller. So I just wanted to mention that as a disclaimer um, to the untrained ear, it might just sound like it's, you know, diet culture-y, but it's really not in any way. It's just a practical observation of um, the things that happen, like I said, when an athlete leaves their sport. So please enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcast. We are highlighting one review a week on our Instagram, so I would love if you were the next one. And again, rate um, the podcast on Spotify. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy this very special episode. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork Podcast. And thank you so much, Lauren, for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Well, we are super excited. One, because our um, podcast manager, Chelsea, is one of your biggest fans, and I believe you've done work (laughs) with her. And that's kind of, in addition to following you on Instagram and obviously already knowing who you were, you've come highly recommended to us. Um, But we would love to just start this conversation, Lauren, with asking you how you got to where you are today, both personally and professionally in the field of nutrition. Um, And again, you can take 30 seconds, you can take 30 minutes, however long you wanna take to answer this question, just really 
what got you to where you are today with your beliefs around nutrition? Sure. So I was lucky that I chose nutrition and dietetics kind of right off the bat. Like I never switched my major or anything, which is always a, a bonus. Um, and I was interested in that just from watching family struggle with health. Um, my mom had a heart attack and luckily it was fine, but, um, when I was in high school. So then when I got to college, I played soccer, um, here at Purdue, actually, I basically never left. Um, and while I was playing soccer, I wish I had been like more of what I preach now. I was like, not my best student back in the day, but definitely I could tell, you know, hydration and um, what I what we ate on the weekends and things like that tied into performance. So I was very early on interested in sports nutrition and just kind of that tied. Um, and so as I went through college, I will tell you there were very few sports dietitians working full-time um, at the collegiate level, probably about five. And, you know, I've been out of school now for 10 or so years. So 10, 15 years ago, there were five full-time dietitians at the collegiate level. And now like we have four dietitians here at Purdue. So that kind of goes to show how much it's grown. Um, but with that said, I mean, I think that's, I definitely felt that tied to sports nutrition just for my own personal athletic experience and was lucky um, to get a job in sports nutrition pretty early on. I worked clinically for about a year before coming back to Purdue as our first full-time uh, dietitian at the time and just really honestly never looked back. Um, I love the sports nutrition setting. I love the collegiate setting. Uh, I think it's a really great, um, I don't know, mix of kind of everything I love. I mean, I love the day-to-day -day involved, but I love the age group in terms of, you know, they're learning everything that they need to be learning to be a real person and to be an adult. Um, and they're really high level athletes. So it's kind of a really cool mix of performance, but life skills and helping them figure kind of all that out. So that was a little all over the place, but that is kind of how I got to where I am now. That is absolutely awesome. And I think I, I want to validate you and I know you already know this, but you saying like back in the day when you were in college and maybe you didn't have the, the best habits or I forget exactly how you said it. I think every college student, the best student. student yeah, I think every college student can relate to that. And I think that is such like a relatable topic. And I know we have a lot of younger listeners too. And, um, I'm sure you've heard of Victoria Garrick. We had her on our podcast and she just reading stuff about you and how you kind of connect like athletes also in that transition time between like athlete and becoming air quotes, a normal human again. I think that's a really important conversation we'll have today. And so just kind of reminded me of that as well. So you two have so much in common, mm -hmm. like so much, uh, Victoria and you, um, the work she does. I've been in her inbox a little bit trying to to do some collaboration or something. Cause I think the work she does is awesome. So awesome. I feel like both of your books, like were really, which we should talk about, but they really will vibe well with each other. Um, and I also just have to say that I'm so impressed by your soccer status. We were actually talking over the weekend how I mean, I played soccer in high school and wanted to try out at Penn state and was like laughed out of like every room that I mentioned that too. So I am super jealous and so impressed. Um, but anyways, not the topic of conversation today. I want to ask you, I'm looking at your Instagram over here and you have just so much relatable information on here, anywhere from marketing gimmicks 
to a new partnership, it looks like with Gatorade, which is super exciting. I know Sammy has a recent TikTok about drinking Gatorade that I think people really went ape shit over. Um, and I know that when it comes to intuitive eating, food freedom, and athletics, I think that there's like a lot of myths. Can you help our listeners debunk any of that? Like, can you do both? Can you be an athlete and follow food freedom, intuitive eating, et cetera? Is that something that you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about today? Yeah, I think it's a huge topic. Um, so I'll do my best to be connected. <laughs> I think absolutely you can. And in fact, you know, people often to me will say like, oh, you know, so how many of your, how many of your athletes are using meal plans? Or is that what you do, you know, all the time is like write meal plans. And I'm like, not often. No, I mean, we have athletes who want a meal plan and we certainly, you know, we have very high level athletes. We have many athletes will be in the Olympics here shortly. And there's certainly a time and place for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always say like at the end of the day, our athletes are college students, just like any other college student, like what is the reality that they can live on this highly structured meal plan world and, and tracking things? And I, I, that's the last thing I want, honestly, for most of them. So absolutely, I think most of our athletes can, you know, go through their day to day as a high level athlete and not feel the need or have the need to follow anything very structured um, and, and follow a lot of the intuitive eating principles. I guess the asterisk I would say would be, there are certainly, I think you have to be purposeful with stuff. And that's a word we use a lot here is just, you know, be purposeful with your fueling. Like, can we really afford to just like float through the day and eat if it's convenient? Or like, well, no, we have to eat something before a workout, right? Or else we're going to feel that you're going to be dragging. Um, I'd like for you, even if you're not like super hungry in the moment, like, can we eat within a certain time frame when we finish a workout? And, and can we put some thought into what that is, you know, um, versus just grabbing, I don't know, whatever is handy or nearby. Like, well, I'd like it to have some protein. I'd like it to have some carbs. So I think there are things that our athletes need to be purposeful with in terms of that pre-workout, post-workout hydration. You can't just show up to practice and then start hydrating or else you're going to regret that pretty quickly. Um, so those are a few examples. I also think there's some extreme examples. Um, you know, like we have wrestling here. That's a weight class sport. It is not very intuitive to get down to a, a weight at a certain time. And it literally, I mean, you can't perform. You cannot compete if you're not at that weight. So I think, and that's where having a dietitian involved is awesome, right? And the dietitian here, Elaine, who does wrestling, does an awesome job of really trying to help them live intuitively and make those choices most of the time. But when it comes to competition, like, okay, how can we keep some of these things, but make sure we're moving towards those goals? So again, it's a really big topic that I think there are some, I keep using asterisk, but like some situations that aren't especially intuitive, um, that maybe do need more structure. But I think for the vast majority of athletes and their situations, etc., cetera, um, yeah, you can totally have food freedom and still perform at a really high level. Thank you. That was a perfect answer. Yes. And I think it comes back to like, I love how you said purposeful. I always use the word like mm -hmm. intentional with clients. And I mm -hmm. feel like almost like with a lot of the athletes, I almost think of it as like similar to when we're talking about 
with a client with a medical disease or condition, right? Like medical nutrition therapy is still a part of intuitive eating. And I think that's where with athletes, like you're talking about like nutrient fueling or um, timing of fueling, excuse me, and how like that is going to be so important to help prevent injury for these elite athletes. Like there's, like you said, there's purpose behind it and the intention is, is so important. So I love how you answered that. And I think that's really, really important for athletes to hear. And I think that comes back to education too, right? And that's what the dietitian's there to do is help them figure out what's going to be the best for them physically, mentally, emotionally, and keep them Absolutely. being the, the strongest athlete they can be. For sure. Awesome. Well, we definitely want to get some answers to the question from you because we had similar topics with Victoria when we had her on, but it's always great to hear different perspectives of just what are some of the biggest struggles that you see with people that go from athlete to normal human, whether that's high school and not going to be a collegiate athlete, collegiate athletes that don't go professional, or even if you work with any professional athletes that come out of their profession and now try to be a, again, air quotes for listeners, normal human, even though they're always a normal human, but I think there's this different kind of stigma on it. So what- just to add on to that, with Victoria, we really focus on the mental health aspect about like being the athlete. But I think your specialty, which I know our listeners would love to hear, like where does the nutrition role play into that too, um, which is so huge. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a lot to say on the topic. So um, Yay. <laughs> perfect. I think there's so many facets of that transition that people don't necessarily think about. I think everybody would say like, oh yeah, that seems hard or, you know, like, oh, that would be weird, different, but it really is kind of crazy. Um, and what led me to kind of hone in the, on the topic um, and eventually write my book was as I experienced it, I just remember thinking like so many things were affected. Um, just like little situations in life that I'd be like, weird, like I don't have to think about X, Y, Z because I'm not an athlete anymore and like how bizarre. So anyway, from a, from a nutrition and fitness perspective, I think that's a huge chunk in itself. Some people think, oh, well, I'm just going to keep it up there. I'm going to keep working out like I did. And the reality is like, that's really hard to do um, for many reasons. I mean, for one, like now, you know, I'm well into my thirties and I'm like, there's no way I could keep doing, I don't know how, like when I see Carly Lloyd playing, I'm like, girl, like bless you, because I just don't even understand how her body still does it. But um, anyway, it, it's hard to keep working out that long and that hard and that, that intensity, um, the time it takes, like when you get a full-time job, I'm like, good luck, like working out for two hours a day or three hours a day. Um, and you don't have priority scheduling anymore that like squeezes that into your schedule all nicely. Um, so it's hard schedule wise, physically, et cetera. You have a family. I mean, it just gets harder and harder. So that's a big change. I think, um, nutrition wise, it's not realistic that you're going to have this athlete body that you've always had, right? Like that's part of the transition. Um, but it's, it's a shock. I think for some people, you, for one, you lose a lot of muscle, um, I always share that, you know, like when I was an athlete playing soccer at a high level, I always thought like, oh, I want to lose my butt. I can't wait to lose my butt. Um, Cause it felt like, you know, oh, we, we all have such big butts and thighs and whatever. And then I did. And I was like, oh my God, what happened to my butt? And like, I want that back. Um, I lost, I think two pant sizes just from not lifting the same. 
Um, so you have a lot of muscle mass loss, on, uh, generally speaking, at least, um, and just kind of this shift in body composition where even if you're not weight centric, which hopefully we can get people away from being weight centric, but even if you're not just looking in the mirror, right, your clothes fit differently. Um, your body just looks different than what you're used to. So I think that can be hard to, to manage for people. A lot of our athletes have had to like eat to keep up almost, right? Like I have to eat. I know if I don't eat right now, I'm going to be sorry, you know, the next day. Um, and so it's this weird shift of like really trying to kind of honor hunger more, um, watch portion sizes more. I mean, it's just hard to, to shift that when you're used to having to eat this huge amount compared to a more normal amount, maybe. Um, so anyway, those are a few things off the top of my head, I think from the nutrition and fitness perspective. Um, I would also add like fitness wise, a lot of athletes don't know how to go about fitness, which seems crazy because it's all they've done, but they've had a coach like hanging over their head, writing a workout for them, um, motivating them to do it. A lot of athletes actually lack a lot of internal um, motivation because it's like, well, you had to show up or I was going to get yelled at. I couldn't leave my teammates hanging. Um, so there's not always a ton of internal drive to like get up early and work out, especially when you've been doing it so long that all you want to do is like never do it again for a while. Um, so anyway, I, I feel like I'm a little all over the place because there's just so many things, but I think that is hard. The motivation, just knowing what to do in a weight room or wherever in a field, um, on a court without a coach hanging over you is hard. Um, all of those things can lead to sometimes this big change or this big gap in what you're used to. Um, and that's just one piece of it. Like you said, there's the mental piece, there's the identity piece, which I think is huge. Um, man. And then there's just like kind of now, if you look at collegiate athletics and everything we provide, which is awesome. Um, it's way different than when I was playing. It's this also a huge gap in resources because you've been surrounded by basically an entire team of professionals, right? So our athletes at any given moment have access to their strength coach, an athletic trainer, a physician, a dietitian, a psychologist, a physical therapist um, for no charge, right? Like we don't talk hourly rates or anything. No one would have any idea. Um, they have meals like readily available. They have snacks everywhere. Like if you walk, you'll run into a snack. Um, so there's just like endless resources and people to help them in all these different ways. And then it's just gone. And a lot of times they don't like the, the monetary piece is sometimes shocking to them. Like, wait, it costs how much to go see a personal trainer or a dietitian or um, man, I, I spend how much on food? that I was just like shoving in my backpack before. So I think all of those things kind of lead to this like very sudden sometimes moment of like, holy crap, this, you know, has all kind of caught up to me and it can be really hard for them to deal with. Um, all of those things compounded on each other. <laughs> I don't know how reeled in that answer was, but. It was so good. And I think one of the things, one of my girlfriends um, was a collegiate athlete as well. And we actually had a conversation recently just to kind of piggyback off of what you said about the nutrition aspect. And one of the things she was saying was she was used to eating such a large quantity of food and 
never really feeling fullness because of how much she was exercising. And when she transitioned out of sport, it was difficult for her to recognize what full felt like and what quantity got her there, which was so much less than what she was used to. And that transition piece was really hard, um, which I think is what you were saying before, um, just about like the smaller scale of quantity of food and portion sizes and just learning, like actually learning what your body needs to fuel your newer lifestyle, which can be really hard. It's like learning to eat again. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a perfect example. And again, like, I think sometimes people think like, oh, like a football player or something, right? Needs, and they do, they need like 5,000, 6,000 sometimes calories, but so does like a swimmer. Um, so there's so many sports that have these really high caloric needs. And um, yeah, that's, it's, you described it perfectly. I think it's just hard to like find in that gap. Like, I think absolutely you can get there, but sometimes in the getting there, there's all this chaos because it's like, well, I, now they're still eating like they were, or they're not sure how they're supposed to eat. And they do see those body comp changes. And we all know how easily people can fall into the diet and restrictive cycles. Um, and so it's a, it's a really, I think, um, volatile time that they can get caught in that stuff because it is, it's hard. Like you've looked like a certain way, you've looked like this athlete for, um, probably most of your life at this point, and you've eaten a certain way now for many years and to just kind of like switch that off all of a sudden is way easier said than done. Um, and I think it puts a lot of people in a bad spot if they're not prepared for it, especially even sometimes if they are. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, we all have so many people we can think of that we know personally or that have gone through this transition. And it's, I, I know you mentioned the word identity, and I think that's so huge. I think we see that all the time, just with the normal people that go from chronic dieters to not dieting anymore. They're like, what is my life now if I'm not dieting? But now this is like a totally different example of like, you know, an athlete, it's like a profession, it's your identity, it's who you are. And then you go to not having sport anymore. Um, I think of my cousin, I've had a lot of conversations with her. She was, uh, played D one at Auburn soccer and was phenomenal. And then went to just not playing soccer. And she's like, I just can't believe like, I'm not playing anymore. Like it's, you just go to this like new life. So, so what would be some of your tips, Lauren, of, you know, those next steps? Like, do you guys sit down with athletes before they kind of like off board into real life and have kind of like a come to Jesus moment with them of like, this is going to happen. So they're like less, you know, scared or more prepared for that moment. Or what are some tips you would have for listeners if they're like, oh, that's going to be me next year. Or I, you know, this is coming up, this transition is coming up for me. Yeah, that's a good question. I, so to answer your question kind of embedded in there of what do we do with our athletes, we definitely try. I will say it can be hard, um, especially with certain sports like who end in late spring or if you have athletes who are training maybe for the NFL and they don't make it and it's like we never see them, right, because they've been training and then they're gone. Um, so it can be challenging. We definitely try. Um, we do have a program here too that's around this topic called BLAST. Um, which stands for boiler life after sport. <clears throat> and ideally we'd have like a hundred percent participation. We're not there yet, but, um, but it's awesome to see those kids like really start to understand and like prep for the topic. Um, Cause I think the biggest answer I would have to your question is you have to talk about it. 
and you have to like acknowledge that it's coming. Um, and I was just as guilty. Like, I get why you don't want to, because you don't want it to happen. Like you don't want it to be over. It's like the glory days, even if it's high school, college, professional, it's the glory days and you don't want it to end. So I remember thinking like, like I knew obviously it was going to happen and I had no intentions of playing professionally or anything that would have extended my career, but I still was like not acknowledging it, like refused to think about it. So then it's like way worse because then it's just like, bam, hits you and it's over. And you're just like, I guess I don't go to practice today, like for the first time in 20 years or, you know, 15 years. So um, I think the first thing is just like talking about it. If you are an athlete, like acknowledge it's going to happen and start to think through some things, um, even just like how you might stay active. Think about something like a lot of our athletes have no interest in continuing their sport which is fine because you're burnt out, right? Um, some do, and you know, like, and I have continued to play soccer recreationally and, and some sports you can't do that though. If you think about football or um, diving, I don't know, baseball, well, you can play recreational baseball, but you can't like pitch at a high level anymore. So anyway, um, some sports you literally can't. So like just acknowledge that, like what, what would I do to stay active in some way? Um, it could be a new sport, it could be group fitness classes, it could be running, walking, um, gosh, it could be a million things, but I, I encourage athletes to start thinking about that and like, will you hold yourself accountable? And if not, like, can you find someone who will like, just start thinking about those things that you might do and, and look at it as an opportunity. Like maybe it's a sport you haven't played in a long time. Maybe it's something you haven't had just time to do, but you enjoy doing, um, I think that can kind of put a positive spin on it. Um, we definitely, if I have the ability to meet with athletes, which is like best case scenario um, before they leave, I will just kind of talk them through that for one. Like, let's think about how you could stay active in some way. Because again, that gap we talked about gets a lot more manageable if, if you can kind of like abate some of the differences, right? Like you don't want to go from super active to sedentary. Um, and so we'll talk about that from a nutrition standpoint, just talking through like, you know, a lot of the same principles that you've learned here with us still apply. We still want to eat frequently. We still like don't want to skip meals. Um, you know, we talk a lot about like balancing our plate here. Um, you know, so we always want a carb, a protein, some fruits, veggies, like that still applies. Maybe our portions get a little bit smaller. Um, you know, like little changes can happen, but a lot of these things still apply. And if you keep doing them, then you're going to not have that kind of huge, weird transition where all of a sudden you feel like, man, I'm not eating anything comparatively or um, get into that diety type restriction. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think of some other kind of like general things. I think the biggest one though, really does come down to just like talking about it and thinking about it and realizing too, that everyone's going through it you know, that was an athlete. I think I used to hear a lot more, but I still do like athletes, you know, who read my book or whatever and saying like, Oh, I thought it was just me or, you know, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, no, it's, it's literally everybody. Like we're all thinking it. Um, so I think that can help too. And itself is just like trying to find a group. Oh, that's the other thing we haven't talked about is the social group. That is like, actually for me, that was the hardest thing. Um, being surrounded by your teammates all day, every day, 
I mean, like we lived together, we practiced together, we hung out on the weekends and then they're just like, everybody scatters across the country and everybody's gone, right? Um, so I think that's another big thing. It's just kind of thinking through like, what will be the hardest parts of this? And if it is like the social aspect, like how can I get involved in a different group? Um, maybe it's that fitness class we talked about or that rec team. Um, maybe it's a church group. Maybe it's something at work. Um, but like, think about that and try. It's like kind of like dating, honestly, in adulthood, like making new friends. Um, so like preparing for that and just like, yeah, just ask, ask if they want to hang out, get a drink after work or whatever it is. So anyway, um, another long-winded answer, but I think those few things help. And then especially if you're someone who's really struggling with, you know, the nutrition piece or maybe the fitness piece, like work with a professional. It's going to probably be easily worth your money um, to have somebody help you through that, that transition time. Yes. Yes. I think that's huge. And a word that kept coming up for me, like thinking about this transition is like grieving, right? Absolutely. Like it, it's, you were saying denial, right? So these are like the stages of grief, like denial, then you have to have acceptance. And it's like, you're grieving this life that you once had that is no more. And that is absolutely a grieving process. And that's why I think it was so cool how like the most important thing you said is like, you have to talk about it. You have to have acceptance around it. So then you can start to put some of these other principles into place and more structure that's going to make this transition easier, air quotes, but it's, you're losing something that's so special. So For sure. yeah, no, it absolutely is a grieving process. You're right. Jenna making her sad face over there but it, it truly <laughs> it kind so of true, like it reminds me it, and this is so weird that I'm pulling this together again but it, like and Jenna I would love to hear your thoughts but like we work with primarily people who diet right and they we go through this huge stage of grief with them as they're like grieving the idea of this air quotes perfect body that like society has promise them. And so there's a big stage of grief of giving up dieting because it's been a part of your life for so long. And although this is obviously a completely different thing, it's that same thing. You're grieving the stage that's no longer there. And it's, it's and, hard and no one talks about it like that, I feel like. And I think one of the things that like really hit me the hardest when I was going through that change, um, when I was reading Anti-Diet, the book by Christy Harrison, one of the things she talks about with dieters specifically is that there's a group of people like the keto, keto warriors have a, a social network and the Weight Watchers community has a social network. And as an athlete, you like you mentioned, like that part hit me the hardest because I just think about like just college in general, like when you're with all your people and then everybody moves so far away, but with an athletic sport, I mean, you spend every hour together for, except for sleeping. Um, a lot of times they live in the same houses. Um, and so you think about that and like, there's that community that you have. And when you go into the food freedom world and you go into life after athletic athletics, you know, it's this fear of not having a community, I think too. And so in Christy Harrison's book, she talks about how like, hello, like there's a huge community of anti-diet people out there, but you do have to search for them. Um, and I think it's the same thing with sport as what you were kind of describing too, because it might not be, you might not find that same like 
excitement in a group fitness class as you did on the field. Um, and so like maybe a book club is your new thing, but like you don't think about those things like when you're in it, right? Um, and I think it's the same with dieting as well. Like you don't think that you're ever going to be able to find somebody to have the exact same interest in you in food um, or to be able to support you through that next phase. I think it's hard. It's hard to see the next steps. For sure. For sure. So I hope it makes it clear, like, we're not saying that athletes are dieters. Because <laughs> when we're saying this, I'm like, I feel like we were like the Weight Watchers people, the Kia people, the athletes. I'm like, wait, wait, no, athletes aren't dieters. But it's for some reason that, like, I guess it's just obviously because of what we do. We're constantly working with people who are dieting and going through this grieving process. And I see that. So, And I do work with a lot of athletes, too, that are going through this. And so it's, ooh, it's heavy. It's hard. Um so what would be, Lauren, like, if we had one thing that listeners are like, they're listening to this episode right now, they're not going to remember anything else. But if you could have one thing for them to walk away with and remember, what would you want them to remember? Hmm. Or just hear you say, we, it could be something we didn't even talk about yet. Oh, man, that's a good one. I mean, since we're on the topic of life after sport, that's where my brain is. Um, I think I would just come back to like, you're not the only one going through it. Um, I think that's probably true of just about everything that people might struggle with, um, <laughs> out there. But, but yeah, I think that's what I would tell them is like, it's not just you, um, and reach out, like reach out, whether it's your friends, like stay connected with that group or, um, reach out to the professional that you need. If it's a dietitian, if it's a strength coach, if it's a psychologist, um, reach out and, and don't wait. Like it's not just you. And I just need to know, it does Gatorade taste different out of that cool can? Because I was so wondering cool. the same thing. <laughs> I don't think it it's tastes that cool much different, but some people do like swear. Cause the can is like old school, you know, like when it has the old school, um, lightning bolt on it too. Yeah. <laughs> So some people are like, oh my gosh, the Gatorade in the can, like that, that hit different. I don't think it's that much different, but some people swear by, you know, that, that can flavor. Amazing. <laughs> I need to get some cans now. Um, well, Lauren, thank you so much for being here. And, and for anybody listening that they're like, I need to find this book. I need to find her. Like, where can they go to get all of your resources and find you? Yeah, so I'm linked to nutrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, although mostly Instagram. Um, and the book can be found on Amazon. Um, it's probably the biggest one. It's also available on um, Kindle and, gosh, what is the Apple one called? iBooks or whatever. I don't even know. That sounds right. Sure. <laughs> I, that. I should know that. Um, so you can download the ebook, but yeah, Amazon. Um, Target, Barnes and Noble, all of those online platforms, you can find it. And also just generally for anyone listening um, that has a program, because we do a lot of collegiate discounts and things and high school discounts. So if you have a program that you'd like to get, like your graduating seniors, for instance, um, the book as a gift, I think that's always a really cool thing. Um, you can go to the healthyformerathlete.com and um, inquire about bulk discounts like that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. 
<laughs> we didn't use our hand raising today. <laughs> we didn't use our hand raising. And when we don't use our hand raising, we literally just say the same thing at the same time. So it's totally <laughs> fine. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Um, this is going to be such a great message for so many, so many people. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next week for a lot more fun.